0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Cursed are the presumptuous in spirit, for theirs is the delusion of self righteousness. Cursed are the cold hearted, for they have no empathy. Cursed are the aggressive for they take what is not theirs by intimidation. Cursed are those who hunger and thirst for worldly gain, for they will never truly be satisfied, and they will lose it all in the end. Cursed are the unmerciful, for no one will feel sorry for them or help them. Cursed are the corrupt in heart, for they can't see what God has done for them, much less thank him. Cursed are the troublemakers, for they stir up hatred and conflict and are the children of the devil. Cursed are those who persecute the righteous, for they reject the kingdom of heaven. Cursed are you, when you are not reviled or persecuted or have no one uttering all kinds of evil against you on Jesus' account. Shudder and be fearful, for your reward is only on earth, for you are not following the footsteps of the prophets and proclaiming the message of the Lord. No, those are not the Beatitudes. If anything, we ought to term those the don't-be-attitudes. That is, those things are not the thoughts, the words, and the actions of a disciple of Jesus. They are the behaviors of those who work at odds with what Jesus is, does, teaches, and expects of us. They are the behaviors of you and me, even on the very best of our days. For we are rarely any of those many blesseds that Jesus proclaimed on the mountain that day. And even when we are, it's often out of selfish motivations, not out of purity of heart. By turns, we can be arrogant about our own holiness compared to the behavior of others. We can give a cold shoulder to the suffering. We can push and push and then push some more for the things that we want, ignoring or downplaying the needs and the wants of others. Instead of hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that reconciles us with our Creator and assures us eternal blessings... We crave the things that elevate ourselves in the eyes of the world and draw us closer to the temptations of Satan knowledge, wealth, glamour, power, self assuredness. We work far harder and we spend more time and more money trying to look younger than we do seeking to grow wiser. And that's because we seek to do everything ourselves. Or expect the world to give it to us because somehow we're deserving of it. But we can't. And we're not. And the more we try to convince ourselves otherwise, the deeper we will fall. Persisting in this, we are eventually no longer up on that mountain listening to Jesus. but We find ourselves wandering through the valley of the shadow of death without the Good Shepherd's guidance and comfort. In doing so, we repeatedly and we continually separate ourselves from the fellowship of the saints, both living and departed, into which he has placed us. Lord, have mercy on us for this. Give us repentance. Give us faith. Restore us by your grace to let our sainthood overshadow our sinfulness. The Beatitudes those blessed are statements which make up our gospel lesson today, those are perhaps the the most well-known part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In this, the first of his five major discourses in the Gospel of St. Matthew, Jesus begins to teach large groups of people publicly. Up to this point in Matthew's Gospel, very little of Jesus' words have been recorded. Jesus has spoken one time to John the Baptist, saying that it is proper that he, Jesus, be baptized at this time. Jesus has spoken to Satan as well, resisting his temptations by both rightly and effectively using the word of God to defeat the devil's lies at every turn. And he has spoken to Peter and Andrew and James and John, calling them from their vocations of fishing on the water to a new task of fishing with water and with word. Apart from that, Matthew has only told us that Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues, healing the sick, and becoming quite famous. Matthew's only other quote attributed to the Lord is a generalized one. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But now, being followed by large crowds that are far more eager to see his miracles and to hear his teaching, Jesus begins to reveal his true mission. His words begin here at the start of chapter 5. And they will continue on with no intervening editorial or narrative comment from Matthew until right at the end of chapter 7. Within this discourse will be Jesus' teachings on salt and light, calling us to be witnesses and to be positive influences in the world. There are his warnings that the law is not abolished. But rather the law is fulfilled by him and will not be relaxed for anyone in any way. We also find his amplifications and his expansions of the law. Those several statements that we occasionally hear about, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He warns against boasting of your piety or calling attention to your religiosity. And in this discourse, he teaches the Lord's Prayer. There's much, much more. And entire books have been written about Jesus' many teachings here in the Sermon on the Mount. But it all starts with these Beatitudes. Right up front, we should notice something that is very important about how Jesus works. He does not begin teaching the faith here by giving a big, slick, showy presentation. He doesn't even do a miracle as a visual aid. And he doesn't zap the knowledge into their heads by way of telepathy or by an internal warming of the heart. Rather, he opened his mouth and spoke to them in human language they could understand. He proclaims his message with his voice. By such common means comes the power of God. And so it remains, for Scripture teaches us elsewhere, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Have you ever looked closely at the Beatitudes? Have you sensed a pattern in them, a progression as they continue through those nine blesseds? In them you see a movement from a shallow weakness of faith to such great strength of faith that one can withstand the reviling, the persecution, and the false accusations of the enemies of Christ. Yet, even in such suffering, the one who remains faithful rejoices with gladness, trusting that his or her Lord has promised great rewards, rewards in heaven to the one who stands firm against all of these earthly and devilish assaults. Look at them again. See if you don't discover the path of your own journey of faith. We begin poor in spirit. And yet on account of Christ and what he has done for us by his own life and death and through the work of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of heaven is ours. We mourn because we wallow in the sadness of this life and the fear and the sense of loss that we feel at the departure of loved ones rather than grasping the joy of suffering having ended, the victory both gained and granted. We remain meek and lukewarm in our faith, fearful of losing, fearful of falling into poverty, rather than trusting that God will grant all that we need and more if we step forth boldly in His name. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness because after realizing that it is granted only in and by and through Christ, we do not seek every opportunity to have it granted to us again and again in absolution and sermon and supper. And even when we do, we often fail to fully trust that in these gifts, the Lord has truly worked righteousness in us. He has filled us with Himself and He has driven out the devil and all the doubts that devil tries to bring upon us. And yet, Jesus has fully satisfied both His Father's justice and His Father's love in His suffering, death, and resurrection. What's more, He's fully satisfied us with all that we need, even when we don't realize it, accept it, or trust it as we ought. It's at this point in the Beatitudes we see a shift in the pattern, don't we? Those first four Beatitudes speak of weakness, of failure, of neediness. But now, enriched in spirit, comforted in sorrow, emboldened by His promises and satisfied in righteousness, we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we are enlisted and enabled to do great things for the sake of His kingdom. We can become merciful for there's no longer any reason for us to hold back in sharing the gifts of His kingdom with others. They are inexhaustible. They are available to all. We need not hide them or hoard them or hold them back. Made pure in heart, we not only see God, we see God in others. We see God in ourselves. We see how we are all knit together in the one holy Christian and apostolic church. And days like today, All Saints Day... They are no longer reminiscences of losses or sorrows over who and what we do not have any longer. They become celebrations of all that has been given to us and to all who believe, both living and departed. All that we continue to have, all that we continue to be given. All that is our promised inheritance of the life to come. No longer captive to the pressures of playing individuals or organizations or ideas or nations off of one another to further our own aims, we are then enabled to become peacemakers. We seek out common interests, the elimination of rivalries and resentments and selfishness, and we seek reconciliation of all those God has created in His image. But we do so always remembering that the most important, the only true peacemaker who really matters is Jesus Christ. And the only reconciliation that has lasting importance and effect is the one that He has accomplished for us with the Father. What then of those last two Beatitudes? Those that speak of being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those which say that being reviled and spoken badly of, ridiculed and unjustly punished for the sake of confessing the name of Jesus is a good thing? Never looks that way, does it? The world and our sinful nature look upon any suffering or embarrassment, any pain or setback as something wrong, as something undesirable. Satan whispers in our ears, just as he did in Jesus' ears Don't do it. Avoid the suffering. Take the easy path. Enjoy yourself. Take the fruits of this life. Be comfortable. It takes a very mature faith to accept persecution. And our faith is never fully mature. We constantly circulate again and again through this progression from poor in spirit to rejoicing in persecution. It's a spiritual battle of chutes and ladders on a cosmic scale. We backslide. We fall. We must constantly surrender to God in repentance. But he also continues to Lift us up over and over again with his grace and his mercy so that we can see his work in our lives, that we can be called his children, and we can face our persecutions not just with stoic acceptance but to actually embrace them with joy, knowing that it means we are bound inextricably and inseparably with Jesus. There's a key element to this suffering on account of the faith that we often forget. Those who were true martyrs and enduring saints in the course of human history, they recognized it. But we often do not. And it's this You cannot be persecuted for righteousness' sake unless you've been made righteous. You cannot be suffering. You cannot be reviled or ridiculed as Christians unless people know that you are a Christian. If your faith is not visible, if you cannot be identified as any different from the rest of our culture by the expression of your trust in God, then even if you are being hounded and reviled, cursed and discriminated against, well, it's not on Jesus' account. Only believers, believers whom can see, whom others can see and know are Christians, only they can be persecuted for the faith. It takes more than just Wearing a cross as jewelry. Movie stars and athletes and trashy pop singers can do that. It takes more than just showing up at a service, most of your Sundays than not. False prophets who line their pockets and live in mansions do that. It takes a sort of trust and devotion that draws you to and immerses you in the scriptures when sleep and breakfast and the morning news are more appealing. It takes a sort of dedication that leads you to teach Sunday school, to serve on a board, or to do the hundreds of other thankless tasks that enable a congregation to function. It takes a sort of sacrifice that means a smaller house, a less prestigious car, or a less glamorous vacation, so you can actually feel the pinch in your lifestyle. It takes a willingness, as we confess in our confirmation rite, to suffer all, even death, Rather than falling away from Christ and His church. Those are the sort of commitments that most of us would prefer to avoid. Yet among the many saints who have gone before us, including those whom we celebrate on this All Saints Sunday, there have been those whose steadfastness was both apparent and unwavering. They suffered great worldly harm for the sake of bearing and confessing and living in Christ's holy name but they also experienced all of those blessings that Jesus taught in his Beatitudes. You too have been bound to the promises of your Lord in your baptism, in your death into Christ's kingdom. You've been blessed in all of these ways and many more. So rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. In the name of him who alone makes us all saints, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.